There's a theme going on here about trust and having all that you need, right? The most common repeated phrase in the Christmas story. Anybody know what it is? Hope he hasn't preached on it. Don't be afraid. Zechariah, don't be afraid. Mary, don't be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid. Shepherds, don't be afraid. You know, every single one of us in this room has lots of faith. We all trust something or someone. So, biblical faith is the transfer of our trust from ourselves and our perspective back to Him. Biblical faith in the Hebrew has the idea of transferring your weight, leaning, relying on. So, when God says, Don't be afraid. He's inviting you to transfer your trust from your perspective, from your ability, your experience, whatever, back to Him. To lean on Him. Collapse onto Him. That's a good word right there. How about everyone in the room just kind of as we... I don't know what we're going to do next because I always interrupt things here. But how about every one of us kind of just thinking about in some way in our heads or minds going, okay, Lord, I'm transferring my trust. I'm hearing the word. Don't be afraid. Part of one step at a time is to look at him instead of the mountain. Father, we transfer our trust. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Transfer my trust. Transfer my perspective. Don't be afraid. Amen. That was a good word, right? You know, I appreciate my dad because he's... You know, we, we didn't have our, any of our elders present, but he's an elder. So there's elders in the church, and it doesn't mean just old people. Did you know that? I mean, he is old, but <clears throat> since I have the mic now, I won't tell you how old he is. Charlie's not old, okay? <laughs> she is very young. Um, but you know, when an elder in the body of Christ speaks, you just go, there's a weight to it. There's, there's something that happens. And so we need, we need elders speaking into our lives, whether they're part of our immediate church family or part of the broader church family of God. We need, we need the elders to speak and we need to listen. We need to not be like the the example of who is that king that didn't listen to the elders? Uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, however you say his name. Rehoboam, he 
he uh, was going to become king after Solomon. And what does it say? It says he had all the elders come to him and they said, here's what you should do. Then he got all his buddies that were his age around him. And they said, this is what you should do. He went with all his buddies and it was, it was downhill after that for the rest of his life. The kingdom was torn away from him. It was just a, a bad deal. Uh, I've never read that uh, scripture and, 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 and had that thought. You know, if everybody my age and all my buddies and good friends are saying one thing, I want to make sure that that's God and not just whatever age we are, just falling into the wisdom that we have in the natural, falling into just the, hey, this is what I think, or falling into opinions or personal desires or personal opinions, you know, we can get off track on that really quickly. And that's why we need the community. We need the wisdom of the body of Christ. We need those who have gone before to speak to those who have not gone that far yet. If we're going up a mountain, then I want to listen to the person who has already gone a whole lot farther than me. And it doesn't have to do with age. It has to do with maturity. There are some people who are as mature as elders at the age of 31. I don't think I was one of them, but um, maybe I am at 41. (laughs) But it's not an age thing. It's It's an age in terms of being aged in the spirit. In other words, your history, your connection, your relationship with God determines the wisdom and the weight by which you speak. That's not the message, but that's good. <laughs> you know, you want to... Maybe this is brag on my family day. You know, I just went to see my uh, my family for my grandmother's funeral. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, just a really good time. Uh, a lot of traveling, but just a really, really good time. And, uh, you know, family is important. And... Uh, you know, one of the ways you get to that weighty place, that relationship with God, is, is time with Him. That's it. You know, as Bill Johnson, who's the pastor in uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California, you know, he says, we can pray for impartation for gifts. We, we can pray for Holy Spirit gifts. We can pray for you to, you know, operate more in the gift of the word of knowledge or prophecy or Whatever, whatever gift it may be, faith, miracles, uh, word of wisdom, um, whatever those may be, those can be imparted. The Bible is clear about that, and I have a teaching on that that you can look up and find, and I can get it for you if you'd like. But here's the thing you can't impart by prayer. You can't impart maturity. You can't just have someone, you can't go up to the altar at church or some other places, not the church gathering, and say, lay hands on me and get mature, you know. You only, you, it doesn't happen. I mean, if it could happen like that, we would have all prayed for each other and we'd be totally there, right? I mean, if you could just pray for maturity, I would just have gotten a prayer. It'd be a whole lot easier than making a lot of mistakes and seeking God and trying to hear the voice of God and, and getting in the Word of God and digging into the truth of God. It would be a whole lot easier if I could just have somebody else pray for me and give me all their wisdom, give me all their maturity. No, the reason that someone is walking in maturity is because they have paid the price in their personal time with Jesus. 
You'll never get to maturity without being with Jesus and being in the Word of God and being in the community. Those are like the three keys right there. You stay connected to Jesus. You get His Word in your heart. You declare it with your mouth. And you stay connected to the family of God. You let the family of God speak into your life. Okay, well, that's message one. That was, hopefully that's not better than message two. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Matthew 2. We're in the Christmas story. We're in the second Sunday of Advent. Now I'm going to revisit something that I preached, uh, at least on this general topic, um, nine years ago. So I know that those of you that were here nine years ago, you probably remember this, I'm sure. (laughs) Who remembers what I preached last week? (laughs) Okay, don't raise your hands. It's just to be a joke. In other words, you probably don't remember, okay? You don't remember many sermons, but you do remember when people love you, right? You do remember when people were there for you. You know, when I was... uh, Never mind, I'm not going to tell that story. So, Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to really get off track here. Um, Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to start at verse 13. Last week we were looking at Joseph and just the amazing uh, man of God that Joseph was. To follow God, he was willing to sacrifice, and he was willing to obey. Two key things as men, as fathers, as husbands. Willing to sacrifice and willing to obey and hear the voice of God and do what He says. We're going to start here in 13. Holy Spirit, open the Word of God to us as we read. When they, when they had gone... Okay, this is... Uh, let's just set some, some context here. The three kings, the magi, they probably weren't three, but how many ever there were? The magi had just come to the house, to the toddler Jesus, and they presented their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so after that, we pick up here, and we read this last week. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And I love this part where it says, So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night. Talk about instant obedience. Instant obedience. Got up during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Stop there. You remember, basically, Herod brought the Magi in. He got all the information from them about the king. He pretended to say, oh, I want to go worship him too. And so, but his his real goal was to kill anyone who would try to take the throne because he was so insecure and such a wicked man that he didn't want to let the kingdom go to anybody else. He was concerned about even a child that was born as a king. And so... He had told them, hey, once you go visit, come back and tell me, tell me where the child's at and I'll go, that I may go too and worship him. It's kind of like that church. Have you ever heard somebody just say the church, the, the right church answer? That I may go too and worship him. That's kind of what, what Herod was given, the right church answer, but he didn't have it in his heart. 
I'd rather have it in my heart than give the answer from my mouth. So Herod, so that the Magi were, were men who were following God. Whoever these guys were, they were, they were following and they heard from God and God said, go home by a different way. So when Herod realized he'd been outwitted, been a long time, how long are they going to take and visit this kid? I mean, how long can you stay with a baby that's not your own, right? So, <laughs> it's true, it's true, not, not very long for me. Um, when, <laughs> when Herod, <laughs> whew, sorry. Verse 16, let's start there. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I know what you're thinking. Well, thank you for that uplifting passage, John, to, uh, to focus in on. But here's what I want us to get from this, from this horrific historical incident. That part of Christmas is about a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war. I mean, I know we got all the bells ringing and the... And there, there, that is part of it because there were angels singing... There, there was joy, there was peace on earth. But here's the deal. Peace came at the cost of a, of a huge battle. You know, when World War II ended, and I've only obviously read about it, uh, there was a great celebration when there was finally peace. But the peace did not come apart from a great cost. And so part of the Christmas story is the story of a war. It's a war between two kingdoms, a war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the prince of this world, the devil himself. You see, this is not the first time that there was a great a great slaughter of children right before God was going to bring about a great deliverance. If you remember the story of Moses, Right before Moses came, and Moses was going to be the deliverer. He was called to be that one who would deliver the people of God from their bondage, from their slavery, and lead them into the promised land. It's a picture of salvation in Jesus Christ. That Jesus would come and deliver us from our bondage and lead us into the promised land. What happened right before Moses was born? The order went out by an evil king... Who were the evil kings influenced by? The devil himself and his demons. They were influenced by the, the, the powers of darkness, by the kingdom of darkness, by those who hate the light. And they said, kill all the, the Hebrew babies. We don't know how many of them died. We don't know how many, of, we don't know how many died in Bethlehem and its vicinity, what that means. 
And I can't imagine what that was like. I've got a three-year-old, not a two-year-old. But I can't imagine what it's like to have an evil government, to have an evil ruler come in and forcibly kill my child. If you want to know how much the devil hates God and hates you, go read this story. That's how much he hates you. That's how much he wants you not to be saved. That's how much he wanted us not to have salvation. There's a war in Christmas that's going on. Now here's the deal with, with, with the battle with the enemy. The enemy is always one step behind. The enemy is always one step behind God. The opposite of God is not the devil. We have to remember that. This is a battle, but there was really not a question who was going to win, at least not in God's mind. There was not a question who was going to win the battle. It was going to cost something. It would cost Jesus his very own life. But this was the beginning of the battle that would win the war against sin, Satan, and death. That's what Christmas is about. It's about the beginning of the war. And we look forward, ultimately, this coming Easter when we celebrate that as on the Christian calendar, basically, where that was where the war was ultimately won in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the enemy is always one step behind God because God knows everything and he does not. And so we have to remember that in, in our struggle, in our struggle, it says in Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If you find yourself struggling with that person, just be aware that the struggle that we are in, the Bible says, is not against flesh and blood. We are not fighting political parties. We are not fighting people who don't believe the same way we believe. We are not fighting all that stuff. We, it's not the person we're against. We're, behind, we're against the spirit behind that. Because there is still a battle going on. The war has been won, but the mop-up is still going on. Where the kingdom is still advancing. What did it say when Jesus was born? In Isaiah it said that he'll, the government will be on his shoulders and he'll have a, a, basically a kingdom that's not going to end. And so that was established when Jesus came to earth that first Christmas. You know, hey, do you want to know who the opposite? I heard this recently. You want to know who the opposite of the devil is? It's Michael the archangel. That, that's like a better picture to see like, hey, angels have some, have some power. They've been given some authority. They've been given all this stuff. But compared to God, uh, they're way down here. And so the opposite of devil, the, God is not the devil. It's maybe there is no opposite to God. The opposite, <laughs> I'm getting all tongue twisted now. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting to me. So here's the deal. There's a, there's a great picture of this battle. One of my favorite... Well, I have a lot of favorite Christmas stories. So let's just say one of the Christmas stories that I like, which is all of them, is in Revelation chapter 12. There was a book, uh, so if you want to turn there, Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible. So just go to the back and find the maps and the definitions of the words and the index and then get back to that first book, Revelation chapter 12. There's a book written by a guy named Max Lucado. He's an author. He's from Texas. Uh, became very famous in the 
in the 90s, really, I think, with all kinds of books. Uh, he might still be writing books. I have no clue. Uh, I haven't read one of his books for quite a while. But he wrote a book called Cosmic Christmas. And uh, I haven't read that book for a lot of years. I'd actually like to find it somewhere uh, and maybe read it to my children. Um, but The Cosmic Christmas was a book that was just... It's a, it's a fictional uh, depiction of what happens in Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, we get this kind of picture of what's going on in the heavenlies. And there's a lot of symbolic language. There's a lot of things that... I'm not going to try to explain everything here because I'd probably be wrong anyway. But I think there is, there is an overall picture of this spiritual battle at Christmas. So it says this, Revelation 12, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with, with the sun, with a moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in, in pain as she was about to give birth. So you've got a woman giving birth here. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon. Who's the dragon usually in Scripture? Satan or the devil, right. With seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Most people think that's the the angels that fell with the devil, the dark angels that became demons, uh, that there was a third of them. There's two-thirds good, one-third bad. That's always a good reminder too. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Does sound kind of like Herod in Bethlehem here? I, I sure think it does. And she gave birth to a son. And here's how we know it's Jesus. A male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. There's only one person that's going to rule all nations. Did you know that? There's some that have ruled some nations, many nations, large nations, but there's only one who rules all nations. So we know that's Jesus. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert. Sounds a little bit like Egypt, right? Egypt is a desert. The woman fled in the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. I believe this is at least partially a picture of the birth of Jesus Christ and Herod as the dragon, being influenced by the dragon, attempting to kill Jesus. And look, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But, this is what's so awesome, but he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. That's good news right there. The Christmas story is about a war, but it's about a war who has a winner. I like winners. I like winning. 
And uh, God won the victory. Jesus won the victory. They overcame him by, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. That may be about the only right thing the devil knows right there. That his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. And the woman was given the wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she'd be taken care of for a time, time, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. I'm not going to attempt to tell you what all that means. Okay? It looks like more symbolic language of rescuing uh, the Jesus and all that stuff from that. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman... And look at what happened. And went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Who are those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus? Very cool Christmas story right there. Because it's, it's, it's not, you know, if your kids are bored with the, you know, if you've got boys that need some action in the Christmas story, like, okay, the donkey, okay, that's cool. Uh, okay, and they gave birth in a, in, a, in a, okay, that was pretty interesting. Um, where's the action, you know? I mean, have you ever noticed that little boys need action? They need some violence, you know, a little bit of fighting going on, a little victory, a little competition. Um, you know, this is the Christmas story for those of you who, who, need it, who need that. You know, either pick up Christmas, Christmas, or say, boom, Revelation 12, guys. We're reading that tonight, the Christmas story. See if your kids will be like, what? <laughs> what is going Pastor John said <laughs> this was the Christmas story. So here's the deal. I mean, it's an amazing account. But the thing we get from this is, number one, there is a great battle. There's still a great battle going on for the souls of men and women. And this Christmas season, let us be reminded... That there is a battle going on right now for people's souls, for people's minds, for people's emotions and wills. And here's the deal. We've been given the tools of victory. It says here we've got several tools. In verse 11 it says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. I love how it starts with an absolute. Okay, this is not something we have to do. We don't have to do anything for the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb has already been given. The blood of Jesus has already been, been paid and done what it needed to do. And so we don't have to get more of the blood. We don't have to ask for that. We have the power of the blood of the Lamb as the people of God. We have been washed with it. We have been set free with it. We have been marked by it. We have been compelled and, and, and extended with it. We've been set apart with it. We have the blood of the Lamb on our lives. And so that's the one given right there. The one, one of the keys to victory has already been given to each and every one of us. And it's the same key that we need to let someone else receive and believe. The second thing it says, and by the word of their testimony. 
Here's the deal. When we share the testimony of God, when we speak it out, you know, we, thinking about testimonies is good. I'm not saying that's not good. But there is something in speaking and declaring what God has done. Declaring the truth of God. Confessing what God's Word has already said. Sharing what God has done personally in your life. The testimony of the Lord is this. Here's what the testimony of the Lord is. Everything God has ever done. It's, it's a pretty big, big topic. I mean, so if you don't have your personal testimony, you can share the testimony right here. See, that's what happens when we read out loud the testimony of the Lord. Part of this right here is God's testimony. The testimony of what the Lord has already done. And here's the deal. God has done something in our lives and we can share about it too. It says we overcome. Part of the victory comes, number one, by the absolute of Jesus and His blood. But number two, by us participating in His victory by declaring the word of our testimony. By sharing it with someone else. By speaking it out. You have to open your mouth. You sometimes have to open your mouth. Sometimes the silent prayers don't work. I'm not against silent prayer. You can do that. But there's something to be said for declaring the testimony of God out loud. And it says, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So in other words, there's a commitment to live unto death. And I'm not sure I I get that. I mean, in the United States of America, like we think when... People make fun of us for being Christians or say one bad thing about us on CNN or something. That we're, oh my gosh. <laughs> they did not love their lives so much as to, to shrink from death. You know, I'm reminded of, of, of part of the teaching that, that uh, Dave gave a couple weeks ago in our foundations class. Um, and I believe it was on... Con- uh, confessing God's word was the general topic. And uh, I may be wrong on that though. But it was something that just has really stuck with me. Um, and it's this. And it's from the story of David and Goliath. You know, if, if you're not familiar with the story, I won't assume everybody is familiar with the story. David was a king in, in, the, in the Israel, the people of God. Uh, before he was a king though, Hello. Before he was a king, he was he was just going up to the battle lines, seeing his brothers and delivering some food because he was the lowest on the totem pole. He was the last brother. He was taking care of the sheep. Uh, you know, that's not a fun job from what I've heard. So it's kind of like, okay, you're the low man on the totem pole. You get to take care of the nasty sheep. And you can deliver. You can be the gopher. You can be the guy who just delivers stuff. And so David comes to the battle, and there's a huge giant named Goliath who is standing on the other side with the enemy enemy armies, and he is shouting at the people of God and ridiculing them and cursing God and making fun of them and and calling out, "Hey, who's going to come fight me?" and all this. And so David hears that and is like, "What is going on? Why?" There's no reason that anybody should talk like this about our God. And as the story goes, David, you know, wants to fight the the giant. Nobody else, not one single soldier in the whole army of the people of God says, "I'm going to give it a shot." 
Not the strongest dude, not the, not the biggest one, not the one who's totally ripped, not the one who was the best trained. Not any single one of them was willing to even try. So this guy who's just a shepherd boy, he's probably a teenage boy, around all these men who are cowering in fear, who are refusing to take their place in God's order. This shepherd boy comes and says, I'll fight him. God's with me so I can fight him. And so as the story goes, David gets five smooth stones. He doesn't take a sword. He doesn't take a shield. He doesn't take the the normal battle armor he should. He, He goes out there in a whole different way. But he has one thing that nobody else was willing to have. And it was the power of God. Let's be honest. A slingshot and a stone is nothing against a huge giant without God, without the Spirit of the Lord. It says the Spirit of the Lord was on David, came upon David while before this time. And David, of course, wins the victory over the giant. Now, here's the part that stuck with me, Dave, and I appreciate it, was this. Every morning when we wake up as the people of God, there are giants shouting at us. It might be the the giant of fear. It might be the giant of doubt. It might be the giant of condemnation. It might be the, the giant of impurity and lust. It might be the giant of past mistakes and failures. It might be the, the giant of regret. It might be the giant of shame. It might be the giant of sickness and disease. But every morning when we wake up, there is a giant that's shouting at us. And we have the choice in the battle because the only thing the giant can do now is run his mouth. (laughs) That's the only thing the giant can do. Because I've already read Revelation 12. It says Jesus won the victory. I've read the back of the book. I've read about the cross. I've read about the death. I've read about the resurrection. That Jesus has already won in victory. It says that Jesus rose and then ascended in victory. And now his kingdom is going forth. His rule, his reign, his power, his influence is going out into all the earth. It's actually winning right now. As I reminded you a few weeks ago. That I know it doesn't look like that in the United States. But all around the world there's more people coming to Christ than ever before in the history of the world. Muslims, Hindus, nothings. Coming to Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds, millions and millions of people are coming into the kingdom of God. So we're on the winning team. Just a a good reminder. But I have a choice every morning to allow the giant's voice to influence my life. To allow the one who has already lost the war to make me act like I'm losing. To make me live like I'm losing. Here's the deal. I need to live and declare and speak and fight like I'm winning. Now, I don't fight by getting upset. I don't fight by getting angry. I don't fight by doing a show of force. How did Jesus win the victory at first? By humility, by humbling himself and, and laying down his rights as God and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down my life for someone else. I'm going to become less than I could be so that someone else could be free. Sacrifice. And humility and love 
are the weapons that we win the battle with. You want to know how to win? Look at the life of Jesus. It doesn't look like the, the, the life of Jesus doesn't look like the, the way you should, should get to the kingship of all the nations. Be born to the most ordinary people with a bunch of animals, with a bunch of poop around. Doesn't make any sense. And here's the deal. Sometimes the things the Lord tells us to do, they don't make any sense. People are going to look at you that don't know the Lord. Sometimes people that do know the Lord are going to look at you, you know, because they're standing around at the battle lines and are like, I ain't touching that giant. (laughs) I ain't going to do it. I'm not even going to try. And you're the David. You're the David who has something in your heart that says, no, that's not right. That's not right. That's not what God's kingdom looks like. That's not, that's not the way this was meant to be. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus, what the Father, excuse me, was looking at when he looked at the world and wanted to send his son. He's looking at the world. He knows that this is not right. This is not what I want. This is not my desire. But he was willing to do something about it, to humble himself. In in his humility, he won victory. With his love, he rescued us from darkness. With his sacrifice, we've been set free. And we get to participate in that same kingdom, a kingdom where we lay down our lives for other people. Because here's the deal. Even though the devil has lost the war, he's still winning a few small battles in people's lives. And if I am too caught up in just my little world, I can forget that the reason I'm not dead yet, the reason God didn't kill you when you got saved, was for somebody else. Because if it was just about getting us to heaven, there's no reason to stay here anymore. But he has a purpose and a calling and a mission for every single one of us. I exist for somebody else. There's somebody else that needs me to breathe because I have God's breath in me and God's truth in me and God's life in me and God's power in me. And I can trust that the same, same God who rescued Jesus can rescue me. The same God who rescued David can rescue me. The same God who rescued all the people throughout Scripture, all those stories where God's amazing power was at work, that He can rescue me. But here's the deal. The rescue only comes when I step out and take a risk. If you don't risk, you don't need to be rescued. If David just showed up at the battle lines and said, wow, that's really, really rough. Too bad I got to take care of those sheep. See ya. (laughs) Suddenly the sheep don't look so bad, guys. You know, (laughs) I'm going to go back to those animals. And man, really quiet there. Just lions and bears. No big deal. (laughs) See, David was a picture of a new covenant Christian in many ways. His worship was, his relationship with God was, his receiving the Spirit for the rest of his life was. That was all a picture. And here's the deal. 
Who is Jesus called in the New Testament? One of his names is the son of David. Why was he not called the son of Solomon? Why was he not called the son of Abraham? Why was he not called the, the son of all, Moses? Anybody else you can name. He was not called any of those other names. He was called the son of David. Because something about the life of David and the heart of David and the connection of David represented who Jesus is. And so when Jesus shows up and is called the son of David, it was definitely a declaration that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the one sent from God. And we get to live in the same anointing and and family because what has happened is the same spirit that came upon David and the same spirit that came and dwelt in Jesus as a human, we receive the same spirit. It says, you know, to those who received him, he gives the right to become children of God. And as children of God, you'll notice the first child of God that we see in Scripture, Jesus, is full of the spirit. He's victorious. He has a calling. He has authority. He has... He has the ability to do amazing things. It's the same thing for all God's children. Same thing for all God's children. Jesus amazingly has brought us up from such a low place to such a high place. It says, I am now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. What? (laughs) Hello? Where are you spiritually? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus... And you've been saved, spiritually you sit next to God. That's a very high place. And here's the deal. I want to do something with my high place, not just kick back on the throne and go, wow, this is cool. <laughs> Yay, me. <laughs> gimme, 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 gimme. <laughs> no, the whole point of Christmas was give, 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 give. And I get to be a part of that mission too. I'm going to stop talking now. Okay, how's that for a close? Um, <clears throat> I want us to pray. Before we close, we didn't pray earlier. And I kind of felt like uh, we, we may end up doing that. But here's the deal. Even though the battle's been won, we still feel the effects of the battle sometimes. Don't you? We, we feel the, the effects. I mean, that's, I think that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, Hey, there is going to be a struggle. So if you feel like you're in a struggle right now, hey, guess what? You're in good company. God promised, hey, that's going to happen. And he said, hey, use your weapons. If you, need to, if you need to read it again, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, you can look at what the weapons that we've been given are, the armor that we've been given is. And as somebody said recently, uh, talked about, hey, there's no reason, you don't ever have to take off the armor of God. You don't have to take it off when you sleep. So you can just have it on all the time. So I just want to pray, and I want to pray specifically for anyone who says, I'm just feeling the struggle right now. I'm really feeling the struggle right now. I need need my brothers and sisters to come agree with me and to come bring the confidence of David, the confidence of of Jesus, the confidence of Paul or Peter, because we have the same 
faith, the spirit of faith, the Holy Spirit in us to come alongside and help me in this struggle and pray for me in this struggle and pray for that breakthrough to be released. Because I believe that this scripture was very strong and very clear that now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. And if the accuser, the devil himself, is having rule and reign, again, he, all he can do is run his mouth. But sometimes all we can hear is him running his mouth and we forget the truth. And so we need someone to come alongside with us and pray for us and pray for that breakthrough in our bodies, in our minds, in our souls, whatever it may be. So can everybody stand up? Can we all stand? If that's you, I, I want you to... I want, we want to pray, I want us to pray together. So if that's you and you say, I just need to respond and I need, to, I need, to, I need somebody to agree with me in prayer today. Go ahead and just, just lift your hand up real quick. Anybody here? There's one, there's two, there's, there's three. Anybody else? Don't, let's not be shy. We don't have to be shy here. If you, if you need that, let's believe that there's a breakthrough coming for you right now. Okay, thank you, Lord. Um, can we lay hands on you guys? Those of you that are lifting your hands. There's three, three men here. Go ahead and grab somebody right here. Yeah, there's some right there. Thank you, Lord. We're going we're gonna to agree. We're going to pray and believe for the breakthrough. Thank you, Lord. If you're not praying with someone, just begin to pray right, right where you're at. Begin to pray. Begin to pray out loud. Begin to pray out loud. It's important to do it out loud. It's not in your head. Prayer is out loud. Thank you, Lord, right now. I just want to begin to, to declare some things over uh, you guys who were praying for uh, this you. morning in our, in our time with our staff. We, the Lord just released a word that said, let God arise and your enemies be scattered. And so right now over you four men, I just declare God is arising in your spirit at this very moment. And as he grows bigger and bigger in you, that confidence would rise, that all of your enemies would be scattered to the wayside. I bless you with eyes to see. Some of you just need to see how big God is and how small your enemy is. I bless you right now with eyes to see and I declare that your enemies will be scattered as God is released big in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind, and in your eyes that you will watch your enemies scatter. Thank you, Lord. I have a, the other thing the Lord um, said, uh, the revelation says is they overcame them by the word of their testimony. Ta- uh, John talked a little bit about, you know, what we say. This has been burning in me from before we started speaking. It's, it's a con- Oops. It's a confession. It's a confession that every single believer in the Lord Jesus can make every morning. And I learned this from a, one of my favorite prophets, Bobby Connor. It's Micah 3.8. And you can say it with me right now because it's true. If you're a believer, then who lives inside of you? God, almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the one who created all things. He lives inside of you. You are face to face with him. So this scripture is true. For every single one of us. This is what it says. 
As for me, can you say that? As for me, I am filled with power. With the spirit of the Lord, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, and with justice and might, you could get up every morning and start making that your declaration, and watch what happens. I'm sure that's kind of what David said when he got up that morning. As for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might. Amen.